The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I think it's good that you're the kiddos you're in with us because we're going to be talking about Jonah and for many of us uh, you grew up hearing this story it's an incredibly popular story it's a man who was eaten by a big fish who then was thrown up right onto a shore so any story that involves throw up is awesome right <laughs> right uh, but as we grow up and we grow older Sometimes we can start to look at this story a little bit differently. We can start to perceive this story as being somewhat science fiction. I mean, come on, a man eating and then living to tell us about it. That's crazy, right? And so we, what, what happens is, is as we get older, we can look at Jonah, this story, and, and we can take from it some really good things, really good takeaways. Like when God tells you to do something, you listen, right? You take from it these great things. Um, but we can begin to, to kind of pull from it the nuggets of truth and then kind of relegate it to telling our kids. And it becomes this great children's tale. I mean, it involves fish vomit, so it's, it's, it's easy for parents, right? And, and so we, we tell it to our kids, and, and as we do, we see the wonder in their eyes that we once had when we encountered this, this story. My hope is that in our time together in this book, that we are going to see how incredibly relevant this book is for us today, that we're going to be able to see um, the character of God on display in this book uh, in a very unique way, and, and that we are going to realize, just as Jesus realized, that we're dealing with a factual account. I'll say this before we pray and jump in. Jesus, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Pharisees came up to him, they're like, can you give us a sign to prove that you are what you're saying you are, and Jesus, you know, loves to be nice to Pharisees, says, hey, only evil people demand that, and the only thing you're going to get is the sign of Jonah. This is in Matthew 12, and then Jesus says in verse 40, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus compares his resurrection which, by the way, is literal, historical, it really happened, to this quirky little story, Jonah's fish account. He takes this seriously, and my hope, like I said, is that we're going to be able to see God's character in a different way through this book, that we're going to grow in our obedience uh, when God calls us in our life, and that we're going to see Jonah in a different way. So to that end, as we start into Jonah let me pray for us, and let's, let's ask the Lord to speak. Amen? God, thank you for this time. I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for the kids in this room. I thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do through this incredible book. God, it is so good to be able to have in our hands your word written to us. I pray you open our eyes to who you are. Convict us for who we are, and show us your love and your grace and your mercy this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. Uh, as we get into verse 1, I want to give us just uh, real quick some context and background. Not long, just some things to set the stage for us. I want to talk a little bit about Jonah. And then I want to talk a little bit about Nineveh as we set the tone for our, t- for our time together. First, Jonah. As I said, Jonah was a real person who lived in around 750 BC. So 750 years, roughly before Jesus walked the earth, Jonah was walking the earth, all right? Um, he was actually mentioned in 2 Kings. Uh, so 2 Kings with this king named Jeroboam II, who wasn't the greatest king for Israel, but... As we see, he listened to Jonah. Listen, listen to this. In verse 25, he says, He restored the border of Israel from Lobo Hamath uh, as far as the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke, hear me, by his servant Jonah, the son of Amate, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So two things here. One... We see when Jonah lived and prophesied. So King Jeroboam, he reigned 786, 746. And so not that you need to memorize that for quizzing, but what it does is it gives us the ability to say this is when Jonah was ministering, to put him on a timeline, right? So we know when Jonah did his thing. The second thing we see from this is we see what Jonah's ministry was like. So Jonah was a prophet of God. What that means is that God would literally speak directly to him as a prophet, and then he would then be the mouthpiece of God himself to the people. This was an incredible office. It car- his words would have carried incredible weight because he didn't speak for himself. He spoke for God himself. And this was Jonah. God would use his prophets at times to direct the course of an entire nation. As we see in in 2 Kings, where a wicked king even listened to him. Because this was God's prophet and God spoke directly through him. He would have been well known. There weren't many prophets running around in this time. All right, this was Jonah. As we look at the book of Jonah, we're going to see... God used his prophets to do incredible things, even though in the case of Jonah, he did everything he could to get in the way of it, um, God would still use his prophets. So that's Jonah. Let me move on to talk about Nineveh. Nineveh is, is, is really important to understand as we look at Jonah. So Nineveh is where uh, modern-day Mosul, Iraq, uh, north of Baghdad, that's where Nineveh was. Um, And it's actually one of the oldest cities, the oldest cities in antiquity. It was built, get this, take this in. I don't think as Americans we can fully grasp what I'm about to say. 6,000 BC is when this city was founded. The Bible actually tells us a lot about Nineveh. It tells us its beginning and its end. So in the beginning, uh, we see the beginning of, of Nineveh in Genesis 10. I want you to follow with me here. You know Noah? Kids, you know Noah? All right. Noah, same one on the ark, right? He had some kids. One of the kids, he he had a kid, and he named him Ham, which is weird, right? Um, He named his kid Ham, and and Ham was actually in the boat with Noah, right? In the boat. Well, Ham had some kids, and one of them he named Cush. So if you're following me, that would mean Cush would be the grandson of Noah himself, 
Now, Genesis 10 say that it says Cush fathered a guy with a weird name named Nimrod. Nimrod, so if you're following me, would be Noah's great-grandson, great-grandson of Noah himself. And, and we read that Cush fathered Nimrod. He was on, the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, right? And in verse 10, uh, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Arach, uh, Erech, um, Akkad, Kilna, and the land of Shinar. And then listen to verse 11. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So, this, this is Noah's great-grandson here. Uh, as early as we can get, basically, building this city and this city would grow to become exceedingly great. Um, just to give you some perspective, Jonah would stroll into the city 5,225 years after it was founded. As I said, uh, uh, 21st century Americans, we can't really wrap. America's like 241, right? 241 years old. It's like adding 5,000 years to that. Like, it's just, we're an infant compared to this great city, and that's when Jonah walks in. Um, and in 3000 BC, Nineveh takes a turn, and it becomes the hub of idolatry. It becomes the hub of pagan worship. They, it's the home of the goddess Ishtar, and it just becomes this hub, and that's what it was in Jonah's time, too. Um, and like I said, Jonah strolls in about 775. Into this, into this city, and it was great. It was strong. I want to read you something because it's going to help us paint a picture for where we're headed. Um, a commentator wrote this about this great city of Nineveh. Her walls were 100 feet in height and built on a rock foundation. Overshadowing the walls were 1,500 watchtowers, some 200 feet in height. Listen to the statement. Everything about this mighty city said that she would last for centuries. This was the Nineveh Jonah was facing. This was Nineveh in, these, in this day. Now, of course, Nineveh didn't last forever. It's not around anymore. Um, in fact, it lasted about 165 years after Jonah, the events of Jonah happened. And, and the prophet Nahum prophesies that Nineveh is going to fall. And then in 612 at the battle of Nineveh, it falls, just as was prophesied. Now, some of you are here and you're, you're like, I'm not a history person. This is terrible. When is this going to stop? Um, I'm done, but I, I want to give you kind of why I did this, why we're starting here. There's, there's a couple things that I want us to understand. One is that this was an incredible city at the time of Jonah. It was at the height of its military dominance, and just the idea that Nineveh would fall would have been an absurd notion, and I want us to keep that in our mind as we think of Jonah's message that he sent to deliver. This would have been absurd. The second thing I want us to see is that Nineveh is not exactly an ally of Israel. Uh, they were a pagan city who presented a significant threat to Israel, and and. This means that our Jonah here, an Israeli prophet, was about to preach and uh, proclaim news to a hostile, potentially dangerous enemy. Now, um, keep that in mind as we read Jonah's story. And the third thing I want us to keep in mind is that the people of Nineveh, Nineveh were Gentiles. Gentiles, that means they, they, they were, it, it, as we've talked about, these were pagan people. 
They were not part of God's chosen people of Israel. They were outsiders. They were actually dangerous outsiders, right? They, they track with me. Nineveh was a great city representing a great threat to Israel, filled with pagans, outsiders who worshiped all kinds of idols, who wanted nothing to do with the one true God, Yahweh, and this is who we are dealing with in Jonah. And I think this is important for us to wrap our minds around. It sets the stage for this book. And so I've said, I've said enough. Let's dive in. So Jonah, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, just a warning here. Um, we will get through this entire book. Um, I promise we're going to start in a little slow, but I promise we will get through this entire book, even if we're going zero to 60 in 45 minutes. So uh, let's look at this. Uh, verse one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, again, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So right here we have... We see the call of God for Jonah. As I said, Jonah was a prophet, a mouthpiece, and when God speaks, that's what Jonah speaks, right? So here, the word of the Lord, God himself speaks to Jonah. When God speaks, you listen. And he said, Jonah, I need you to get up. I need you to get out and go, and I need you to tell that exceedingly great city over there, I need you to call out against it. I need you to tell them that I see what they're doing. I see it, and, and I need you to tell them. Go, Jonah, tell them. And so naturally, as an obedient prophet, here's what Jonah's going to do. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go uh, with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So what just happened there? What just, uh, okay, I, I want to help us wrap our minds around this a little bit. Not many of us, I'm assuming, are familiar with the lay of the land in the Middle East. Some of you might be. Uh, but I, wanna, I want us to, to, to get a picture of this. So this is a map of uh, the Middle East, the area that we're talking about. So you kind of know where you are there. Um, let me show you Israel. So, so Israel down here, Joppa's close to Israel. So you have Israel here. And God calls him to go to Nineveh. Right, So there's Nineveh. So Jonah would have been in Israel, called to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is not exactly close. Um, uh, in fact, Nineveh was about 550 miles from Jerusalem. So what that means is if you were to, it's, it's about the same, it's almost the exact same distance, actually, from where you are sitting right now to El Paso. So it would be like us after this service, kind of getting our stuff together, setting out on foot or on donkey to El Paso. This was a big deal, right? 550, and it's not the prettiest drive on, in either cases, all right? Uh, but that's what this would have been. Now, I want to contrast that to now Jonah's plan. So, so again, we have Israel. There's Nineveh. Israel um, is 30 miles away from Joppa, so we can stick with the same dot there, right? Um, and, and let me show you Tarshish. By the way, that's a fun one to say, isn't it? West side of Spain. West side of Spain. Um, this was literally considered the 
edge of the known world. You can't go further west than that. Like, this is, he, he really ran here. Um, this is 2,200 miles, approximately, from Israel to Tarshish. So, um, in other words, Jonah literally tried to get to the edge of the world to avoid this, to escape this call. And I bring this up for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, if you're listening to this online or you want this map, you can go to stoneoakbible.com slash Jonah. I put it up there, um, just, just FYI. Um, but the reason I bring this up and I show you this is because one, I, I, we need to see that what Jonah did was deliberate. What I mean by this, um, uh, he set out to literally go as far away as possible to avoid the call. God said, go east and north and go east. And he said, you know what, I'm going to go west. And I'm going to go as west as west can go. This was deliberate. And in second, I need you to see he was committed to it. Um, this was not a short journey. Neither one were. Um, this this journey, especially you know the two thousand mile plus journey, would have taken a great deal of time, resources. It would have taken a lot of himself. He couldn't have just jumped on a car, jumped in a plane to you know to get there. No, these journeys were long. And what what Jonah was doing. Jonah here was so set against what God was calling him to do, he was so committed to it, that he was willing to give his resources, his money, his time, he was willing to give his very life not to do the thing that God told him to do. He did everything possible he could to run the other way. Jonah hears the word of the Lord to him, commanding him to go and is deliberate and committed to going 2,000 miles plus the other direction. This is a bold statement. He goes 2,000 miles, and Jonah says to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, how did that work? Um, It's almost like David knows what he was talking about in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says, where should I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. That's a little ironic, isn't it? Um, Even there, even there, your hand's going to lead me. Even there, your hand shall hold me. Turns out 2,000 miles is not nearly far enough. Uh, And if Jonah were here this morning, he'd say, yeah, it wasn't. I can attest to that whole uttermost parts of the sea thing. He's got it. He's got his hand on us. So I get ahead of myself. But um, here's what I want us to do as we move forward. I want us to talk and consider Jonah's objection. What caused him to say, you know what, I'm going this way? What was that? What was at the heart of his, of his objection? Um, the fact is, is that we don't have to wonder. Jonah tells us himself why uh, he did not want to go, why he ran the other way. And it's not because he was afraid that the Ninevites were going to capture him. I mean, that would have been understandable. Uh, It's not because uh, he was afraid that Nineveh was going to somehow rise up and be harmful to Israel. That wasn't it. Um, It wasn't because he thought that they would reject his message. In fact, it was the opposite. Jonah himself says in chapter 4, verse 2, 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this what is this not, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew that. And I knew, I, I, I knew. Jonah did not want to go. He didn't want to tell Nineveh the word of the Lord because he knew Nineveh would listen to him. He knew Nineveh would respond to, the, to God's message. But worst of all, worse than any of that, is he knew that when they did, that God would spare them. He knew that, that, that God was going to be merciful to them, that God was going to forgive them, and that was just too much for him to be able to, to, to even consider. It's, now, before we read this and, and think, wow, Jonah was terrible. Before we read this and, and think, Jonah, where was your heart? Jonah's the worst. Um, let's slow up our judgments just a little bit, and I want us to consider a few things uh, together from this, from this story. Jonah's objections, the reason that Jonah said, nope, I'm going west, right? The reason he said that can be looked at in two parts. Lord, not me, and Lord, not them. And I want us to look at each one of these separately and consider them for a moment. Let's start with Lord, not me. Lord, not me. So um, as I said, Jonah was well-respected in Israel, he was, he was well-respected. This was Israel's man of God, the man that God chose to speak through, to, to speak. In so many ways, these prophets were God, the people of God's connection to God himself. That was, that was Jonah. And, and, and now, you're sending me to a dangerous and potential enemy who I know that you're going to forgive who, who I know that you're going to show mercy on, who I know that you're going to restore. Lord, I don't want that job. Lord, I don't want this job. How will I look my people in the face again? I don't want this job. Not me. Please, Lord, find someone else. I mean, Lord, I know you're sovereign. I know that you can just speak directly to them. You could even use like a tree to speak to them, a bush, like, do that again. Just not me. Lord, since I know that you're going to be merciful, I know, please use different means. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to, Lord, not me. Pick someone else. See, Jonah did not struggle to understand what God told him to do. He understood it. Jonah did not struggle to believe the word of the Lord. He believed it. That wasn't Jonah's problem. Jonah's just, Jonah just didn't want to be the guy. Lord, not me. There has to be someone else. There has to be another way. I'm going to be over there. Not me. Now, church, before we judge Jonah harshly, um, can we first acknowledge all of the ways that we're so like him? Um, saying or thinking, you know, I know what you've called me to do. I, 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 it's clear. I believe what you said. I do believe it. But, but I just don't want to be the guy. Can you send someone else? Can you send someone else? Let me give you an example, a really good example, I think. Hopefully you will too. Um, Matthew 28. 
If you want to turn with me there, you can. I'm going to have it up. Matthew 28. I want to read the Great Commission. We know the Great Commission, many of us, but I want to read it. And as I do, I want you to understand a few things. Um, We believe that that this is the Word of God. Amen? Word of God. Word of the Lord. We believe that. Uh, we believe that what I'm about to read, the Great Commission, was Jesus giving a command to all of his future followers. That's what the Great, command, great Commission is, is, is. I'm commissioning out future followers and saying, this is what I am calling you to do. This is our command. This command, then, by extension, is for you. So, understanding those two things, I, I want us to see this. Um, it's fair to say that the word of the Lord came to Justin. The word of the Lord came to fill in the the blank. I won't pick on anyone. The word of the Lord came to me. You can fill your name in here. So, So the word of the Lord came to Justin and said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, See, I know what God's called me to do. It's really clear. I, more than that, I believe it. I believe Jesus commanded me to do it. I believe it. But so often I catch myself pulling a Jonah. Pulling a Jonah and say, Lord, would you just use someone else? Now in my, I don't think I've ever gone 2,000 miles to avoid someone. Some of us might have. But we run all the same. It's the same thing that I feel when there's someone in need that God puts in my life and I just walk past and I think, someone else has got this one. It's the same thing that, that we feel when an opportunity is presented with us and we let it pass without sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we let it pass and we think, you know what? Someone who's better at this will come along and they'll do it. Someone else. Lord, I believe you. And it was clear, but Lord, not me. How many ways are we just like this? Are we just like this? If you, if you really, you know, if you really want them to hear this, then Lord, send them. Like, send someone else who's less busy or able to talk better than I can or whatever we go through in our mind. But, but Lord, not, not me. Not me. We so often forget that the grace that God has shown us is so that we can show it to others. We so often forget that you have the job you have. You are in the place that you are in life as a missionary sent there with a purpose. If we miss this, if we don't see this, we have missed it. And the cry of our heart is, Jonah, Lord, not me, not me. We forget that we have kids Not only that they'll take care of us later in life, but we have kids because God has placed them in our care to disciple them. No one else is going to, no one else should do that. That is yours. Don't say, Lord, not me. How often have we been given a command and we try our best to pawn it off? We try our best to duck it and pawn it off. 
This is why I think we, we love being busy as much as we do. Lord, not me. And Jesus here, in, even in what I just read, the Great Commission squashes, I mean absolutely squashes, the Lord, not me excuse because he says, not only do I, am I telling you what exactly I want you to do, but I'm also going to tell you that I'm going to give you everything you need to have in order to accomplish it. He says, and behold, I am with you always. Like, he's not leaving us here. He's, he's there. And so before we move forward, every person, in this room, every person hearing this, how, in what ways are we saying, Lord, not me? In what ways is there something in your life that you're ignoring in hopes that God will sovereignly just bring someone else to take care of that? In what ways are we like this? In what areas of our life do we need to be a little bit more like Isaiah in chapter 6? I want to read this to you. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. What areas of our lives have we been having a Jonah response when we need to beginning, begin to have an Isaiah response? In what areas have we said, Lord, not me, and when we need to shift and say, Lord, send me? Lord, here I am. This is huge. God loves you, died for you, and has given you a purpose. And imagine a church that would put away the Lord, not me's. And imagine a church that would say, Lord, send me. Send me to my office. Send me to my home. Send me to my friends. Send me overseas. Send me. Here I am. Not a Lord, not me. Lord, send me. Can we examine our hearts? This morning, and can we just see the ways that we're like him? And we're like Jonah here as we encounter his story. But that's not the only objection, objection that Jonah had. I want us to talk about the second one, which is Lord, not them. Um, for Jonah, he knew. Right? We talked about this. He knew that, that God was going to be merciful. He knew that God would forgive them if they repented. He knew that God was going to reveal himself, that he was going to change their hearts. Jonah knew this. Lord, not them. Lord, not them. They are not your people. They are not a part of Israel. They're not a part of your plan. They are dirty and grimy pagans. The, you are not their Yahweh. You are Yahweh. Like, Lord, I don't want, you don't want your people to associate with them. Like, they are not like us. They are not set apart. They are brutal. They have done some truly terrible things in their history. Not them. They deserve justice for the things that they have done. Lord, they are Gentile pagans who are a danger to us, your people. You hear it? You feel it? There's this uh, bit of ethnocentrism on display here. Um, and ethnocentrism is, is our tendency to want to take our, elevate our own people, our own culture, our own ways, to elevate that above the rest. And then what ethnocentrism does is then evaluate all the other peoples according to your standards, according to your people, according to your ways, according to your cultures. Um, 
to put it short, in a short way, is, is it's the belief that your people are the center. Your people are the center. For Jonah, Nineveh was a city of pagan Gentiles. They were not the plan. In Jonah's mind, we, we, Israel, we are the plan, right? Your chosen people. And oh, did Jonah miss this? Because here's the reality. Israel was chosen. Undoubtedly, they were chosen and set apart. He got that right, but he missed what they were chosen for. Listen to the words again. I want to go to Isaiah, Isaiah 49, 6. This whole chapter is incredible. But here, God himself is talking to Israel. And he says this, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. I mean, do you hear that Israel was, in fact, chosen, set apart, loved by God, forgiven, and called all true? But they were called to be a light for the glory of God, not a hoarder of it. This battle of ethnocentrism is seen actually throughout your entire Bible. You can find this crop up even well into the New Testament. Peter and Paul are wrestling with this same question. As you read, they're wrestling, can Gentiles experience God the way we can? Do Gentiles worship the same way? Do, do they need to become Jewish in order to be okay? Like, they're wrestling with the same thing. And then in the New Testament, we see God pouring out his spirit in, in a house, uh, the house of Cornelius in Acts 10, pouring out his spirit the same way he did with the Jews. And so then they think, well, that happened. All right, well, well and then Paul clearly and, and just boldly says, there is no separation. The dividing wall is gone, and there is one new man in Christ. And the book of Ephesians and chapter 2 and 4, just phenomenal. And so we see, we've seen this struggle before. We've seen this struggle before. And Jonah here is saying, Lord, not them. This cannot be right. This call of God on Jonah, it forces him to come to grips with his ethnocentrism. It forces him to take a look at himself. And he says, Lord, not me. And Lord, not them. And before we again jump on the high horse and say, what a fool Jonah was to say, to do that, I want us for a moment to again consider the many ways that we are a lot like him. Um, not only do we often say, Lord, not me, but church, let's consider the ways that we say, Lord, not them. I want to challenge you right where you're at to, to in, your, in your life, just to think about the ways that you say this, that you say, Lord, not them. For some of us, it might be because of pain. Um, there may be people in your life, a person in your life, a group of people in your life who have wronged you, who have absolutely hurt you, or worse yet, absolutely hurt someone you love. And the thought of forgiving them is tough to even think about, but the thought of God forgiving them is somehow worse. There's this pain in your heart that drives you to say, Lord, not 
Please, not them. For, for others of us, um, it might be because of pride. There are um, people in your life, a person, even a whole group of people, and although you might not say it, some of, I hope you wouldn't say it, although we might not advertise this, there are people that you just think are kind of beneath you. They're, um, they're just not as worthy as me and my people. Um, there are p- people that we see that are less deserving or less worthy and we measure them up to our standards and we find them lacking. And so, Lord, um, not them. They couldn't be brother. She couldn't be a sister. In fact, they would maybe need to convert to our ways, right, before we can entertain that thought. Maybe start to smell like us, act like us, walk like us, talk like us. And once they start doing that, maybe they'll fit a little better and then... Lord, not them. Churches, the, the church acts like this. Um, it is just heartbreaking. It is, it is heartbreaking, whether it be based on race or socioeconomic or um, anything else like that, on culture. We miss the gospel. We miss it completely because Jesus absolutely destroys, I mean obliterates, our ability to think ourselves higher than others. I mean, think of Philippians 2. Think of this. Paul says, hey, Philippian church, follow Jesus, have this mind, be like Jesus, who, though he was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant. Like, we can't wrap our mind around that. But church, our Savior... Jesus Christ, who had the only possible ground to be walking around going, yep, I'm higher than you, I'm above you, you're under me, you're under me. He had that right. The only one who had that right to think of himself higher said, no, I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna serve. This is our savior. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't look at a person or a group of person and think, you know what? I'm a little better than them. I'm just... I'm a little more worthy than them. Jesus destroys that kind of pride through humility. And along with the pride that's destroyed, humility destroys ethnocentrism, like just destroys it. You can't stand on it. It's not an option. Christ came, died, and commanded us saying, yes, them. Yes, Yes, them. And some of us here this morning, we, we just need to, for a moment, hear that. Those people that came up, that group of people, that person that came up in your heart and your mind when we were talking a few seconds ago, yes, them. Yes, them. In what ways this morning, church, are we Jonah? Running away from the call of God, saying, Lord, please, not me. Lord, please, not them. I want to end with, with this. I want to end here. Um, Jonah looked at these people, the people of Nineveh, who undoubtedly, he wanted them to get what they deserved. I mean, these were not you know, upstanding people that have done nothing but generous to Israel. No, these were ruthless. They were brutal. Um, he wanted them. He was crying out to get what they had coming, justice, right? Crying out for justice. 
It was deserved. And he was crying out again. Hear me. The cry in our hearts, each and every one of us, for justice is a good thing. God put it there. God himself is just. And God himself promises that one day he's going to bring perfect justice. We get that. Like that, that is not a bad thing. But listen, here's the problem we have. We cry for mercy and grace when it's for ourselves. But wow, we plead for justice with others. We, we, we tend to justify ourselves so quick, and yet we are just as quick to condemn others. We tend to rejoice in the grace that we have received. We rejoice in it, and we have the same tendency to rejoice in the justice that others receive. This story, Jonah's story, shows us the very heart of God, that he is forgiving that he is merciful, that he responds as we repent in faith and praise God for that. Each and every one of us in this room, praise God for that because you don't have this if that's not true. Praise God for that. And at the same time, Jonah's story reminds us of the, conditions, uh, the condition of our own heart. It reminds us who we are, that we, that, that we, if we're not careful, will stand boldly on grace while hurling down threats of justice, like just tossing justice grenades, boom, boom, while we're standing on our hill of grace. And Jonah says loud and clear, this is your tendency, this is your heart, Lord, not me, not them, this is you. This is, this is us. And my prayer as we step into this book is that our eyes would open and that we would say, Lord, you are calling me. And that we would say, Lord, yes, them. And our heart would celebrate the grace that we see shown on others just as much as we celebrate the grace that he has shown us in our family and the people we love. This is where Jonah is going to take us, and I cannot wait. I cannot wait to continue through this book next week. Let's pray together. God, you are so good. You, have, you are a merciful, forgiving, loving God, who has shown us so much compassion and mercy. And the greatest representation of that is just your son on the cross, demonstrating it once and for all. And we know this, we stand on this. And I pray that just as much as we celebrate that fact in our life, would you now open our hearts to the them in our lives? Would you show us that yes, yes, us, and yes, yes, it's them, would you show us that, that you've not only commanded us, but you have equipped us, that you will be with us as we go and we carry out the word of the Lord that has been given to us? And Lord, would you just snip from the root any tinges of, of, of prejudice? Anytime we think 
that we are higher than others. Anytime we think that we are more worthy than others, would you just meet us with the gospel in that moment and show us that Jesus came and humbled himself? And would you destroy the ground that we have to stand on to think that we are above others? Lord, show us, reveal to us the ways that we are like Jonah. And Lord, cause us to come and to repent and to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Send me. And Lord, would you give us the strength to do that? In Jesus' name, amen.